We have arrived at the end of our wilderness series. Uh, I don't think we've arrived at the end of the wilderness, but we have arrived at the end of our series. Uh, We've been journeying over the last eight weeks through the wilderness. We began with the Passover story and have been uh, journeying with the Israelites through the wilderness. And um, uh, this morning, it seemed fitting to... um, to mark the end of a particular uh, season of the journey for the Israelites, even if it was not uh, the end of the journey itself. Uh, and so we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land. Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And all the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Here ends the reading from God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather around your word. We pray for the gift of your spirit, that it would be with us, that it would fill these words that are spoken, that it would open the hearts and minds of your people so that we may hear and draw strength from your word, that it might challenge us, that it might comfort us, that it might give us courage and wisdom for today and for the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It just seems so wrong that Moses doesn't live to enter the promised land. Uh, Over these last weeks, we have seen Moses struggling with the people. We've seen Moses struggling with God. Uh, He's been sometimes caught in the midst of them. Sometimes Moses has to defend the people and beg God not to punish them. And sometimes Moses has to to defend God to the people and, and encourage the people to be faithful. Uh, Moses stays committed to leading them uh, through moments of frustration and exasperation and lots of challenges. He stays 
faithful to answering God's call through all of those hardships. And so to think that he would uh, see a vision of the fruits of his labor, but not enjoy it. To not be able to feel the warmth of the sun on his face and the land that he has been leading the people toward. Um, if, the, if a movie ended this way and you spent two hours in a theater uh, hoping for a happy ending and this is what happened, you would hate it. You would walk out unhappy. Uh, last week we heard in, in our scripture passage one reason why Moses would not enter the promised land. The people were, were murmuring and, and they were thirsty for water. And uh, Moses himself was struggling to believe that he could provide water. And it was uh, supposedly because of this momentary lapse of faith that um, uh, God's judgment was on Moses and that he would not enter into the promised land. But throughout scripture, we hear several different reasons for why uh, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. And one writer says that uh, perhaps it is simply a struggle on the part of the people uh, to explain it, to, to understand uh, how God allow, could allow this to happen, uh, how they struggle to be reconciled to the idea that someone so faithful, someone so courageous, someone who had been such a central part, as we hear at the end of our chapter about uh, of their journey to this place, um, that he would not uh, receive the gift of entering into that land. Uh, we think there has to be a reason, right, and a good reason why Moses would come all this way and begin to think about the, the length of Moses' journey, how he comes so far from a basket in a river to a fugitive who was on the run, uh, answering the call of God from a burning bush, uh, and then being called to go before the seat of power in, in Pharaoh and demand the release of God's people, and then everything that comes after that, uh, and then not make it to the end. Uh, if there's not a reason for that, then the truth is that simply things just don't turn out like we hope they'll turn out. And that is a tough truth to accept. Uh, on April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was supposed to be speaking in Wilmington uh, at Williston High School, uh, but his plans changed. And on the third, he decided instead to fly from Atlanta to Memphis uh, to try and provide some leadership and maintain the nonviolent nature of the sanitation workers strike that was happening there. Uh, the, the, the nonviolent nature, there was so much tension and, and so much uh, um, acrimony that was happening that King felt he needed to go there and encourage the people to, to maintain the nonviolent principles of resistance that he had taught. And of course, we know the next day he was assassinated on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. But the night before, on April 3rd, King spoke at the Mason Temple in Memphis uh, and gave a, a now famous speech called, I've Been to the Mountaintop. And those close to him have talked about how depressed he was in that moment and how drained he was from the struggle, uh, which was, had really been uh, about uh, 12 or, or so years of his life, 13 years of his life. Uh, the Poor People's Campaign had made him even more unpopular uh, in, in 1968. He um, had began speaking out against the Vietnam War, and that made him unpopular. He'd been the target of a bomb threat 
Uh, the week before on his last trip to Memphis, when he boarded the plane from Atlanta to Memphis, the pilot had to reassure everyone that the plane had been inspected uh, and that there was no bomb on board. And the closing of that speech at the Mason Temple in Memphis has this kind of eerie and haunting tone to it, especially given what we know happened uh, the next day. And in that, in that speech, uh, King alludes to this moment. He alludes to this moment when Moses sees the promised land from the mountaintop, but knows that he will not live to enter it. And it sounds like, uh, from King, like kind of like a farewell speech as he addresses the people. It sounds like he is mustering the faith and, and the strength to encourage the people to keep going, to keep moving, to keep pushing through the wilderness without him, knowing that he will not be there with them to keep them moving in the direction that he believes God has called them to go. He encourages them that the promised land does exist and that they will reach it one day. And it takes so much out of him. I'm going to show you the clip and <clears throat> you will see at the end of the clip that even as he finished his speaking, he is unsteady as he leaves the pulpit. And I want you to remember that as he gives this speech, uh, King is only 39 years old. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It seems so wrong that King, uh, who was called into public life at 26 years old uh, during the Montgomery bus boycott, who has spoken before thousands of people on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, who was arrested and jailed and attacked and criticized and, and called every name in the book uh, uh, to lead the movement that I would like to think most of us can now realize was vital to awakening America to the deep injustice of racial oppression in this country. It seems wrong that he would not live to see the more of the fruits of his labor. But what we know, of course, is that the struggle for a land of peace and justice 
it continued for the Israelites. It was an ongoing struggle. There, there, was, uh, uh, there were only periods of time when things seemed to be right. And, and we know that that struggle continues in America as well. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about how vital leadership is in the wilderness. Uh, how vital and how important it is to have a leader who who can call the people to be faithful, who can who can help the people to be encouraged and and to keep moving when it seems like things are bad, who can remind the people of God's faithfulness, who can help them remember how many times God has seen them before. But when one when one especially faithful and charismatic leader leaves or dies. The transition is difficult, and the will of the people to continue the journey can wane. And the confusion that we sometimes have is that these movements are about the leadership that God has given us, and not about the will of God that the people would be free, which is ultimately what uh, the movement, all movements for liberation, the one Thing that all <clears throat> movements for liberation have had, the one that the Israelites were on, the one that, that we are on in this country, is that God wills for all people to be free. And the Spirit of God is what remains. The Spirit of God is the common thread that runs from generation to generation. It runs from leader to leader uh, on the struggle from oppression to liberation. It is the Spirit of God that is always calling the people to that place that God has set before us. It's true when Jesus ascended and was no longer physically present to lead the first century liberation struggle against the Roman Empire and the, and the values of empire that had taken root among God's people, it was the Spirit of God that was poured out on the first Christians so that the struggle would and could continue. That it was begun in Jesus, but it did not end with the physical departure of Jesus so that the people would be freed. The disciples would be freed from being locked behind closed doors. Fear and uncertainty had taken over and they were locked behind closed doors after the death of Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord came upon them to show them that there was still work to be done in the world to move God's people in the direction that God is always calling them to go. And so we need leadership. Uh, we need uh, leadership. We need people who can be out in front of us and, and sometimes behind us, pushing us and leading us where God is calling us to go. And so the memory of Moses and the memory of Jesus and the memory of people like Dr. King, though I would say sometimes all of those people are misremembered because somehow uh, lots of them, when they are no longer physically present with us, they become tools for supporting the status quo when they spent their whole lives questioning it. But when we keep the truth of their memories alive, they continue to lead us. They continue to inspire us. They, they give us courage to see the vision of the promised land that we can't always see for ourselves when we are in yet another valley where justice feels scarce. So they are important and we celebrate them. But above all, what we celebrate is that they are representations of what God desires for us. Moses is an embodiment of what God desires for us. This is a truth that is worth 
holding on to when it seems like the promised land is stuck on the horizon and not getting any closer. And these people are also reminders <clears throat> that our journeys don't begin with us and that they may not end with us either. Uh, we inherit the struggle uh, for living into the values of God's peaceable kingdom. We inherit it from those who have gone before us, who have struggled before us. And, and sometimes it feels frustrating to, to know that we, it seems like we are fighting uh, some, and, and struggling against some of the same things that they were struggling against. We inherit it from our ancestors and the faith and, and the many forms that that struggle has taken over the years. But the fact that this journey through the wilderness, through the wilderness of, of human frailty, through the wilderness of human disobedience to the call of God to live as one people who love God and love neighbor above all else, as that struggle continues, even through the struggle continues, even through the terrible failures of injustice and oppression that every generation has perpetrated on one another. The fact that the journey continues at all is a testament not only to the enduring faith of those who have gone before us, but also to the grace of God who keeps the promised land in front of us in the first place. God continues to set the promised land before us. And so we are called to live in this in-between time. And in, in, in seminary, us uh, theology nerds are taught to, to, to lean into the already but not yet. The already but not yet. This sort of seemingly contradictory statement that the kingdom of God has come, that it came uh, in, in Jesus, and that we see the fullness of all that it is and that it uh, surrounds us and, and um is, is present to us in every moment, and yet it has not come in its fullness. We have not seen the fullness of what it is and what it can be. We have not yet entered the promised land when the kingdom of God is true for all places and everywhere. It is already, but it is not yet. And so we are called into this in-between time uh, to live as if the land of love and justice that God has promised is within our reach. That if we, if we commit ourselves to tomorrow's journey, if we, if we can find our way to faithfulness for tomorrow's journey, if we believe in the promises of God for the next struggle, for the next uh, moment, for the next uh, season in the wilderness, that we might reach a place where something of what God has promised will be true in a more powerful way than we have ever seen it before. We're called to live with that kind of urgency, but we are also called to live mindful that if our journey is delayed, if it is diverted, that those who come after us will be able to take the baton from us and keep, uh, keep going, keep, as Paul says, running the race with perseverance that Christ has set before us. So we endure wilderness journeys, uh, wilderness moments, wilderness seasons when it seems like the promised land will never get here. But the overarching thing that we remember and give thanks for is that God has called us to a promised land where the things that plague us in the wilderness, where grief and injustice, where isolation and loneliness, where violence and prejudice 
where systems of oppression and war, where those things have no power. This is the, the horizon. And thanks be to God for people like Moses and people like Dr. King who have been to the mountain topic and give us a vision of what it might look like so that we can take one step forward on this journey. Amen.